I'm Jamelyn Steffen, and this is Want to Want It, episode number 26, Self-Criticism. Welcome to Want to Want It, a podcast for women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who are ready to ignite not only their sexual desire, but all of their desires to create a more fulfilling life and marriage. I'm Jamelyn Steffen. I'm a certified life coach, a wife, and a mother of seven children. I'm excited to share my personal journey to desire with you and teach you how to desire more as well. Hello and welcome to the podcast today. And thanks to all of you who are listening. I record this podcast every week in hopes that one person somewhere out there will find it helpful. If you do find it helpful or have found it helpful in the past, you can leave a review of the podcast on the podcast app you use to listen to the podcast. So it's actually super simple with Apple to leave a review. I don't know what it's like for other platforms, but I really appreciate those of you who have taken the time to leave a review because it makes the podcast easier for other people to find. And then it expands the number of people who can receive some really great free help. But if you aren't comfortable leaving a review, that's okay. Be sure to still subscribe to the podcast so you can get notifications when it comes out and then you won't miss an episode. And don't be shy about sharing it with your friends. On today's podcast, I want to talk about self-criticism and I want to share a little analogy with you about how self-criticism can start to take over. So I want you to imagine that you have a garden that you've planted and it's big and full of flowers and bushes and trees and it has fruit growing and vegetables and it's really beautiful and there's a ton of variety and it's just a really fantastic garden. So to protect your garden from rabbits and deer and other critters that love a free meal, you build a tall fence around it and it's sturdy, but it's pretty as well because you want this fence to not distract from your beautiful garden. But you notice one day that there are some new plants that are poking in from under the fence and they begin to grow in your garden. Now, you're not completely sure if you like these plants, but you decide to give them a chance and you begin to nourish them along with the other plants. But you come into your garden one day and find that these new plants have started to take over your garden because they aren't really plants, they're weeds. Now you don't know what to do because if you rip them out, you could accidentally take other plants with them in the process and you don't dare use weed killer because you're sure that that poison is going to ruin your other plants. But the weeds are choking out what should be blooming and growing and blossoming. Now, your mind is like this garden where you have many different thoughts growing, but creeping under the fence of your garden are the weeds of self-criticism. These are deceptive little weed thoughts. It seems like they might just be reporting the news or telling you the truth, but they're painful thoughts. These little weeds keep telling you that they are good for your garden because they say, do you know what? We're going to keep your garden humble. Only arrogant gardeners keep us out. You don't want to be one of those people, do you? Humble people are critical of themselves, they are going to tell you. So instead of plucking those weeds instantly out of your garden or out of your brain, you decide to nourish them because you want to be humble. You want to know the truth about you. You don't want to be blind to who you are. And so these weed thoughts begin to take over your garden. You hate these thoughts, but you actually worry that they're right about you. Besides, it seems impossible to kill them now. You can't even imagine what your garden would be like without them. 
And in trying to kill these thoughts, it's going to be really hard to figure out what you want to think instead, what thoughts you want to nourish in their place that could even sort of feel as believable as these negative thoughts. In my previous podcast episode on being wrong, I talked about how we tend to think that people who are critical are more discerning, wise, smart, and we think that they must know or understand something that we don't. We tend to listen to critical people before we will listen to optimistic people because optimistic people are seen as maybe being a little delusional. Like we can't trust them to be discerning because they think everything's great. And they wouldn't say if something was horrible or bad, so it's really unwise to trust their opinion. The truth is that if optimistic people are delusional, then so are critical people. It's not really that critical people see better or clearer. They're just in the habit of seeing things in a more negative light. And it's not that optimistic people don't see. They're just in the habit of seeing things in a more positive light. Both of these people are just choosing the kind of thoughts they want to have about any given person or situation. But we tend to give greater credence to critical opinions. Now, certainly there are some people who can be critical that we just are not going to listen to. I had the seven pickiest eaters for the longest time living in my house. And so when they would complain about dinner, I really didn't care. I didn't take their criticism to heart. If my husband liked the meal, his opinion trumped theirs every time. So it's not because everyone who expresses a critical opinion means so much to us, but in general, we are more prone to listen to and have more confidence in the more critical voices around us, even our own, especially our own. Now, I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. Do you remember when you were little and your mother told you, it doesn't matter what they think of you. It's what you think of you that matters. Truer words have not been spoken. What you believe about yourself will always trump what others think of you. If somebody thinks you're generous and you disagree with that, you won't believe them. If somebody says you're beautiful or capable and you disagree, it doesn't matter how often they tell you. What you think about you matters the most. And the reality is we often want to believe our most critical thoughts. So what can we do when we feel like we are in the grip of self-criticism all the time? I think the very first thing is to recognize that your brain feels like this criticism is useful. That's why so many people spend their time doing it. We criticize the government, the price of food, the dress that woman's wearing, the way that guy parked the way our kids spend their time, the way our husband makes the bed. People are always looking for problems, and when they find them, they point them out. So it's natural and human for your brain to be constantly looking for problems about you, especially if you are in some kind of pain. Your brain wants to know why you are in pain and find someone to blame, even if it has to blame you and criticize you. So Maybe you're on a hike with your family and you're huffing and puffing and you're just wishing like, please, can this hike end? When can we get to the lake or to the top? And all the time your brain is just busy saying, you know, it's all your fault. This is hard. You just don't want to get your butt out of bed in the morning and do that exercise that you always say you're going to do. You're so lazy. You're so embarrassing. You're so weak. Your brain feels like this is really useful because it thinks that by being critical, you will make changes in your life. It forgets that humans respond better to love, empathy, and encouragement. 
The second thing you can do if you feel like you're in the grips of self-criticism is just stop it. If you would not say something to your best friend, don't say it to yourself. That's evidence that it's probably not kind, even if it feels like it's really true. Don't allow yourself to say certain things to you anymore. You are in the habit of thinking these thoughts and saying them to yourself, so they may come to your mind quickly, but you still have agency over them and you are still the boss of your brain. When you think, I'm stupid, I'm ugly, I always say the wrong thing, I'm an embarrassment, untalented, I'm not capable, or any other really mean statement, stop. And then tell yourself, hey, I don't talk to myself like that anymore. It may feel true, but it's just not nice. And I'm not going to talk to myself that way anymore. The third thing I think you can do instead of criticizing yourself all the time is to try for more constructive feedback. Because some of the criticism our brain offers isn't necessarily off the mark. And in fact, it's probably information that we want so that we can make adjustments in our life that lead us to having better relationships with ourselves and with God and with those around us. So sometimes when our mind is being very critical, the criticism may be true. The analysis we form from the situation may be true, but it's not kind and it's often not kind because it focuses solely on the problem. It's focusing on you or something you've done as the problem. And it offers no encouragement, no ideas, no support for you to improve. It just wants you to know how worthless you've just proved yourself to be. And it leaves you there feeling discouraged and full of self-loathing. Whereas if you focus on feedback, that could change everything. I'm sure that you've heard of a feedback loop before. We learned about this in science in school because Feedback loops exist in nature, they exist in our bodies, they exist in our homes. And feedback loops are just part of a system in which the system's output is used as input or information for future operations or tasks. And each feedback loop has a minimum of four stages. So during the first stage, there's input that's created. During the second stage, that input is captured and stored. In the third stage, the input is analyzed. And then during the fourth stage, whatever insight is gained from that analysis is used to make a decision. So this sounds kind of techie. Stay with me. Think about the thermostat for your home that is used to regulate the temperature in your home. As the heat is on in your house, the temperature is measured by the thermostat. Okay, so that's that first stage of the input being created is the furnace sending out heat. And then the second stage is the thermostat taking in that heat. And then the third stage is when the thermostat starts to analyze that information, that input. If the temperature hits the level that the thermostat is looking for, it takes that information and tells the furnace to stop heating the house. Okay, that's the fourth stage. It's like, here's the information that I've been given and now I know what decision to make. We need to turn off the furnace. If the temperature is below that desired level, it tells the furnace to keep putting out heat. This feedback model keeps things running smoothly. And I think we can use it to help us as we self-analyze and try and make improvements. So let's say that you come home from a long day out and you find your kids sitting on the couch watching TV and the house is a mess. 
let's just, you know, strictly hypothetical. We're just talking hypothetical here. And let's say that when you see this mess, you tell your kids in a very loud voice to shut that TV off. And then you just proceed to tell them how ungrateful they are, how lazy they've been, how useless they were today. You take away all their devices, you ground them off the TV, and you spend the next hour just letting them have it as they scramble to clean up the house and do as they're told. But that night, as you kneel down to say your prayers and consider your day, you are suddenly filled with shame about how you've behaved. And you start to feel really bad about how you acted towards your kids. The self-critical side of you is going to want to tell you what a terrible mother you are, how unforgiving you are, how out of control you are. And it's going to want to remind you that showing compassion is not your strength. In fact, you stink at it. It's going to tell you that you've ruined your relationship with your kids and on and on and on. And you're going to feel terrible. But you're just going to let all this shame come because most likely you're going to feel like you deserve it. You deserve to feel like garbage after treating your kids like garbage. So now you're suffering because you made them suffer and that's going to seem just to you. So then crawl into bed and cry yourself to sleep, hypothetically. That's one way you could be after how you've acted. You could just let that self-criticism come in and chew you up and spit you out. Or you could try constructive feedback or the feedback loop. The first stage is when the input's created. So when you came home and started to get upset with your kids, you created input to be captured by your brain. And that is stage two. You've taken that input or that behavior and put it into your brain, okay? So when you're out of the situation and on your way to bed, you now have time for stage three, which is the stage where you're going to analyze the input or the behavior. If you aren't careful, though, this is where you can become super critical, over-the-top critical. And this is where you can get stuck because you're thinking that you are doing something useful when you put yourself down and tell yourself how terrible you are. Remember, your brain wants to be right and it wants to believe you. So in stage three, when criticism begins to rise up, what we want to do is catch ourselves and say, my brain wants to criticize me and make me feel a lot of shame, but that just keeps me stuck. So instead of focusing on all the criticism, I want to instead do some self-evaluation, some self-analyzing. And then what you want to do is provide yourself with a safe place to start asking some questions. What happened to Nate? Why was I so upset? What was I expecting? Was my expectation realistic? Do I think my kids were really trying to be unkind or disrespectful to me? The goal here is to actually get some good information from yourself and to do that with some compassion and openness. Then once you have had some time to really investigate what was going on for you, then you can move on to stage four, where you can use the insights you've gained to make some decisions. So perhaps you'll say, I feel really badly about how I behaved. What could I do different next time? How can I mend this with my children? Who do I want to be when I'm faced with a similar situation? What could I start doing today that will help me show up as the mother I want to be next time? And maybe you're going to take some note of some of the amazing ideas that your brain is sure to give you because your brain is really good at answering questions and solving problems. So for me, maybe I would decide, okay, I think my children actually do better when I write a list for them and I'm going to go over it before I leave then they totally understand the expectations that I have and there's no confusion. 
And then I am not going to get myself caught in some expectation that they're going to do exactly what I said to the standard I want it done because they're young. And I'm going to decide ahead of time how I want to handle that so that when I go to bed that night, I'm not crying myself to sleep because I acted unkind. So it's not that you can't look at yourself and say, I could have done better. I'm disappointed in me. But you can do it from a place of kindness and compassion instead of criticism. In so many businesses, they are trained how to offer constructive criticism or constructive feedback. A big part of that is that they don't spend a lot of time focused on the problem. They spend time focused on the solutions and how to create more positive outcomes. They are really encouraged to be direct and honest, but also empathetic and encouraging because when feedback is provided in this way, the person receiving it is more likely to take it in, to actually consider it and make the needed changes. Could we do this for ourselves? Is it possible? Could we be direct and honest while also showing empathy for ourselves and providing ourselves with some encouragement? Have you ever heard of people talking about how you should always outweigh any criticism with something positive? So there's something that's called the feedback sandwich. So first you would say something positive to the person and then you would discuss where improvements needed to be made. And then you would again focus on the positive. Maybe we all need more feedback sandwiches in our life. Too many of us instead serve ourselves up a whole bowl full of me. And then we wonder why we feel so terrible about ourselves all the time. Which leads me to the last thing I want to consider on this podcast. How does self-criticism affect desire? Because we know that desire is best cultivated by our best thoughts and when we are feeling good. So when we are critical of ourselves all the time, we are going to find it hard to create desire and therefore it will be less likely that we will go for the things we want to desire. If you are critical of your body, how likely are you going to be to desire to share that with your husband? If you're critical of your gifts and talents, you know, telling yourself how much better everyone else is, how likely are you going to be to use that gift or develop that gift or share that gift? If you always tell yourself how you're a failure and less than, why would you ever try something new or put yourself out there in the world? Stop letting your critical voice be the loudest voice in your garden. Every garden is going to have weeds at times and every human is going to be prone to critical thoughts at times, but that doesn't mean we need to listen to them or nourish them. Give way more love and attention to the thoughts that are generous and kind about you. Use the feedback loop to take in information about yourself and analyze it to make decisions about your future and help you solve problems, not to add evidence to your story about how useless or hopeless you are. Use it to actually improve yourself in a positive way. Remember, critical voices aren't actually more right, they're just more critical. Now, honestly, I understand how true these critical thoughts can be. And I know that at times we have believed them for so long, we hardly notice them. They just seem true. And that's where I come in. If you want some one-on-one -on -one help learning how to overcome your self-criticism, I would love to help you do that. I have a few spots open for the fall and I would love to help you identify the weed thoughts in your life and help you pluck them out of your mind for good. 
go to my website, jamelinstephan.com or click on the link in the show notes, or you can go to my Instagram or Facebook page at jamelinstephancoaching and sign up for a free 25-minute session with me. On this call, I will offer you some help to get started and we'll be able to see if you are a good fit for my program that will change your relationship with yourself and with your husband. Be onto your brain today. Don't believe your critical thoughts just because you always have. Decide today that there are just some things you aren't going to say to yourself anymore. Be kind and compassionate to you and start to build a better garden full of generous, kind thoughts about you. I know you can do this. Have a good week. Thanks for listening today. If you like what you hear on the podcast and you'd like to learn more, feel free to head over to my website, jamelinstephancoaching.com or find me on Instagram or Facebook at jamelinstephancoaching.